Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash YDB. This activity was initiated and funded by Al Nylum. The medical content was developed independently by Peer Voice and Dr. Bruce Wang. Welcome to this Peer Voice on Demand activity based on a recent virtual event. This video based activity comprises five presentations featuring Dr. Bruce Wang. At any time during this activity, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, welcome to this independent medical educational virtual event live event entitled Ask, Spot, Refer Identifying Acute Hepatic Porphyria in the emergency room. My name is Bruce Wang from the Department of Medicine and the Division of Gastroenterology at the University of California, San Francisco. So in the first show presentation, I will discuss when to suspect and how to confirm the diagnosis of acute hepatic porphyrias. Recurrent abdominal pain is a common reason for repeated visits to the emergency room, and a significant number of these visits do not result in a clear diagnosis. Many of these patients become frequent recurring users of the ED, and they reflect a substantial uh, unmet need for timely and accurate diagnosis. A lack of awareness of some of the rarer causes of recurrent abdominal pain may impede the diagnosis and delay effective management. I will discuss one of these rarer and often unrecognized causes of severe recurrent abdominal pain, the group of diseases known as the acute hepatic porphyrias. The porphyrias are a group of eight inherited disorders due to partial defects of heme biosynthesis. Four of the porphyrias present with episodic neurovisceral attacks characterized by severe abdominal pain and are grouped together as the acute hepatic porphyrias. They are all characterized by the abnormal accumulation of the porphyrin precursors ALA and PBG, which are neurotoxic chemicals. Acute hepatic porphyrias are believed to be rare diseases. The prevalence of symptomatic disease based on older studies is estimated to be around 50 cases per million, and it is pan-ethnic. In Europe, it's thought to be around 5.9 cases per million patients. But more recent population-based genetic studies have shown that the prevalence of disease-causing mutations in the acute hepatic porphyrias are much more prevalent, prevalent than previously thought, as um, thought to be around 1 in 1,500 people. And this suggests that the acute hepatic porphyrias may be uh, a much more prevalent cause of severe abdominal pain. And the diagnosis is nearly always delayed. The average time between the onset of symptoms to diagnosis is 15 years worldwide. The acute hepatic porphyria is present with a wide range of symptoms, and this reflects damage at all levels of the nervous system. But the most common symptom is abdominal pain associated typically with nausea and vomiting. But other neurologic systems are affected, including at the autonomic, peripheral, and central nervous system level. The wide range of symptoms makes it difficult to make the diagnosis for or against acute hepatic porphyrias based solely on symptoms. However, there are sensitive and specific tests available for making the diagnosis of acute hepatic porphyrias. The diagnosis is made by confirming high levels of the two neurotoxins, ALA and PBG. And the levels are so high during acute attacks that they can be detected 
in a spot, random urine sample. The timing of doing the test is important as ALA and PBG are most likely elevated uh, during symptomatic periods, although they almost always stay elevated for several days and typically for several weeks after an attack. I will highlight that although urine porphyrins, um, fractionated porphyrins, are helpful, they're mainly used for differentiating amongst the different acute hepatic porphyrias, and they are overall nonspecific and should not be used alone as a first-line screening test. Physicians oftentimes have questions about how to manage patients, uh, including how to properly make a diagnosis for the acute um, hepatic porphyrias. There are a number of specialized centers focused on the porphyrias around the world. In Europe, the European Porphyria Network is a group of porphyria clinics, um, and they are available to help guide the uh, physicians on how to manage the patients or to refer the patients for management. In the United States, the Porphyrias Consortium is a similar network of clinical uh, centers focused on the porphyrias. I also want to highlight that there are several patient groups focused on the porphyrias, which are very useful for both providers and patients and can help connect to local porphyria resources. I have listed some of the patient organizations below. Next, we will go through a specific case to highlight how a patient with acute hepatic porphyria may present to the emergency room. Welcome to the second presentation where I will present a patient case and highlight the importance of early diagnosis in the acute hepatic porphyrias. So this is a case of a young woman of reproductive age who presents to the emergency room with severe unexplained abdominal pain after three days of progressive prodromal symptoms. Uh, her pain is significantly out of proportion to the exam and laboratory findings, which are um, uh, only notable for tachycardia, hypertension, and mild hyponatremia. Abdominal imaging studies were done and they are unrevealing. And the patient is requiring high amounts of intravenous pain control and antiemetic medications. The pain eventually subsides after five days uh, with extensive supportive care. And upon review of her history, showed that she had recently um, had a bacterial infection and was on day seven of antibiotics. So here I am showing the pathophysiology of the acute hepatic porphyrias um, and when attacks occur. And what you can see here is that um, the genetic mutation in the heme biosynthesis genes is required, but it's not sufficient to induce an acute porphyria attack. Concurrently, additional triggers that are oftentimes either environmental or physiological are also present. And these triggers, in this particular case, may have been the presence of an antibiotic medications which induces cytochrome 350 enzymes within the liver. It can also be um, uh, changes in hormone levels in a menstruating woman. In either case, these additional triggers then increases the demand for heme production in the liver. As a result, there is increased ALA synthase 1 expression, which is the rate limiting and the first step in heme biosynthesis. Because of the downstream mutation, the increased ALA synthase 1 production unmasks the downstream genetic mutation as the new rate limiting step. As a result, we get abnormal accumulation of the heme precursors, ALA and PBG, which are made in the first two steps of heme production. In addition, the presence of the genetic mutation makes um, it so that the heme is deficient. It's not made in quite enough amounts. This further induces ALA synthase 1 expression, leading then to a vicious feed-forward loop, which results in uh, further accumulation of ALA and PBG, 
causing the neurologic symptoms of an acute porphyria attack. Which should you suspect a patient um, for an acute hepatic porphyria attack? Here I'm showing you um, the typical profile of a patient who presents with acute porphyria attack in the emergency room. It is almost always a woman. The ratio of women to men is 9 to 1 in symptomatic acute hepatic porphyria attacks. And it's typically uh, a woman during her reproductive ages. Acute attacks are relatively rare before the start of menses, as well as um, rare after menopause. It's typically characterized by poorly localized abdominal pain, often associated with chronic constipation. And the symptoms um, present in the crescendo fashion, often lasting for more than two days. Here are, again, the symptoms of uh, acute hepatic porphyrias, highlighting that um, the different levels of nervous system are all affected by high levels of ALA and PBG. Again, the most common presentation is of uh, abdominal pain. And this, again, highlights how it is difficult to make a diagnosis of acute hepatic porphyria just based on symptoms alone. And to make the diagnosis, we really rely on um, validating the elevation of the porphyrin precursors, PBG and ALA. And the levels are so high that you can check, uh, detect it just in a random urine sample. Um, and again, don't check fractionated urine porphyrins, which actually do not include ALA and PBG alone as a screening test, as they are nonspecific. Testing is most informative during acute attacks, and you can confirm the diagnosis with genetic testing. And next, we will uh, discuss what happens to patients who then can present with recurrent attacks of acute porphyrias. So welcome to the third presentation, um, where I will continue the previous patient case, um, but now it's several years later, and I will highlight both the referral process and treatment options for patients with frequent recurrent acute porphyria attacks. So it's now five years later, and the same woman from the previous case is again presenting to the emergency room with a similar presentation of severe abdominal pain. And over the past several years, she has had progressively more recurrent episodes, and each one with a similar presentation to previous ones. She's also begun to develop symptoms of neuropathic pain, even in between these episodes. Again, exam, lab, and imaging studies are unrevealing uh, in the emergency room, but this time urine testing was done for both ALA and PBG, and they were shown to be severely elevated to uh, almost 100 milligrams per gram of creatinine. She was treated with intravenous fluids for hydration, IV opiates, and antiemetics for pain uh, and uh, nausea management. An IV heme was started and infused through a peripheral inserted central catheter line and her symptoms resolved on day three. So when should you and how would you refer a patient for further workup of acute hepatic porphyrias once you have made or, or even just suspect the diagnosis in the emergency room? Well, traditionally, hematologists and hepatologists are the subspecialists who have experience with acute hepatic porphyrias. But because of the rarity of symptomatic acute porphyrias, um, I would recommend reaching out to a specialized porphyria center. For example, those in the European Porphyria Network in Europe or the Porphyria's Consortium in the United States. It is very helpful um, and thus important to have biochemical testing done prior to the referral. And again, it's important to do the testing during an acute episode when the patient typically is presented to the emergency room. 
Downstream confirmatory testing, including genetic testing um, and to uh, identify the specific acute hepatic porphyrias, can be done at a later time. Here I'm showing you, again, the diagram of the pathophysiology of acute hepatic porphyria attacks, now highlighting the main strategy for treatment um, of acute porphyria attacks. The definitive treatment for an acute attack is to target the increased ALA synthase 1 enzyme activity level that has been induced, which then causes an attack to occur. The standard treatment is to give heme, which stops the need, especially in hepatocytes, to make any more heme. This stops the production of ALA and PBG, um, which then leads to cessation of the attack. Heme replacement therapy is, in fact, the first orphan organ drug to be approved back in 1983, and it is the only drug currently approved both in Europe as well as the United States for the treatment of acute hepatic uh, porphyria attacks. In the UK, heme is available as heme arginate. In the United States, it's available as hematin. There are some limitations of heme treatment. First, heme can cause peripheral thrombocytitis, so it needs to be infused through a central vein. In patients with frequent recurrent attacks who may require long-term heme treatment, um, multiple doses of heme um, invariably leads to secondary iron overload because of the high amounts of iron um, within heme. And in those patients with frequent recurrent attacks, even with prophylactic heme, which can be given on a scheduled basis based on the patient's attack frequency, patients oftentimes continue to experience symptoms and significantly impaired quality of life. And lastly, heme does not achieve long-lasting correction of the metabolic defect in the pathophysiology of the disease. In these patients with frequent recurrent attacks, um, recently there has uh, been the development and the approval of a new line of treatment based on the principle of RNA interference targeted against ALA synthase 1, specifically in the liver. Um, and uh, this new treatment, um, which does not need to be initiated in the emergency room, um, may be able to prevent acute porphyria attacks in those patients with frequent recurrent attacks. And this can help prevent the long-term complications of acute porphyria attacks. And in the next presentation, we will discuss some of these long-term complications in patients with acute porphyria attacks and how to manage them. Welcome to the fourth presentation, in which I will continue discussion of the previous patient case, but now it's many years later, and we're going to highlight the long-term complications in acute hepatic porphyrias. So this is the same patient, but now she's in her 50s and postmenopausal. She unfortunately is still having frequent episodes of neuropathic pain, which are similar to her previous severe episodes. And again, on exam, uh, it's normal. And um, labs, again, show normal electrolytes, but uh, some increase in her serum creatinine levels. But this time, urine testing, even during her symptomatic episode, shows normal ALA and PBG levels in the urine. So what are some of the chronic complications of acute hepatic porphyrias? Well, patients who have experienced multiple prolonged and untreated acute attacks can develop permanent neurologic damage as a result of high levels of ALA and PBG. This can result in chronic neuropathic symptoms that are similar in nature to acute attacks, but the main difference is that ALA and PBG are normal during these uh, symptomatic episodes. 
patients, females especially, with acute hepatic porphyrias typically stop having attacks and normalize their ALA and PBG after menopause. This is due to, we think, the important role of changes in progesterone levels in inducing the high elevation of ALA and PBG in acute hepatic porphyrias. And these chronic symptoms, especially the neuropathic symptoms, are oftentimes very difficult to treat in these patients. Acute hepatic porphyrias can also, deter- can also develop long-term complications in other organ systems, particularly the kidneys and the liver. Decreased renal function is common, we think partly due to frequent hypertensive episodes associated with their acute attacks. Liver inflammation uh, is common, uh, present in about 15% of acute attacks, and some patients can develop cirrhosis as a result. And it's important to do regular checks of liver function and renal function in these patients with frequent recurrent attacks. Now, patients with acute hepatic porphyrias, whether they've had a single attack in their lifetime or multiple recurrent attacks, have been found to have increased rates of hepatocellular carcinoma. And it's advised to begin screening of HCC in these patients past the age of 50. Now, many of these um, chronic complications in patients with acute hepatic porphyrias may be prevented if the diagnosis is made promptly and treatment is initiated to for, for prevent um, prolonged acute attacks. So in conclusion, the acute hepatic porphyrias are an often unrecognized cause of severe unexplained abdominal pain. They should be considered particularly in women of reproductive age who presents with uh, undiagnosed abdominal pain. Diagnosis is made by testing a random urine sample for the porphyrin precursors, ALA and PBG, and confirmed when the levels are greater than 10 milligrams per gram creatinine. It is most useful to test during attacks, but a baseline test is useful um, in those patients with frequent and recurrent attacks, as those patients oftentimes will have elevated ALA and PBG levels even in between attacks. Effective treatment is available for acute attacks of porphyria, and the treatment is to stop the hepatic heme production with intravenous heme. In patients with frequent recurrent attacks, these attacks can be decreased and prevented with RNA interference therapy. And undiagnosed and untreated acute hepatic porphyrias can lead to significant long-term neurologic complications, as well as end-organ damage of the kidneys and the liver. But many of these complications can be prevented with early diagnosis and prompt treatment. So thank you again for joining us today. And um, uh, so now on to the live Q&A. So we'll start with, with this question. Um, uh, what are some other presentations that acute hepatic porphyrias might be confused with? Um, so this is one of the major difficulties with diagnosing acute hepatic porphyrias because the symptoms for the AHPs are so broad. Um, and so most of the typical causes of acute abdominal pain are on the differential and can be confused with AHPs. Um, it's, uh, you know, I've seen many patients with acute porphyrias who by the time that they've been diagnosed have already undergone several operations to um, have their gallbladder removed, appendix removed. Um, some uh, women's have had surgeries to remove their uterus and it's you know, unclear if these surgeries are necessary or not. Um, uh, some other uh, conditions that can be confused with Q 
acute hepatic porphyrias include some of the other neuropathic symptoms, uh, syndromes. Uh, one specifically that I'll mention is Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, which can cause some of the similar neurologic findings as um, AHP attacks. So let's see, another question is, um, what are some associated findings in addition to acute abdominal pain that may help um, uh, associate these symptoms to those of acute porphyria attacks? So, um, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that acute abdominal pain, um, severe acute abdominal pain is the most common finding, um, and typically lasts for many hours, several days, um, uh, typically. Um, uh, many patients will, uh, uh, complain of nausea, vomiting. Um, uh, constipation is more common than diarrhea, but diarrhea is, um, uh, can be seen as well. Um, and symptoms of um, uh, neuropathy at all different levels of the nervous system are seen. So autonomic nervous system, uh, symptoms with tachycardia, hypertension, um, peripheral neuropathy with weakness, numbness, um, uh, and then central nervous system um, uh, uh, effects with um, mental status changes. Um, and then also with electrolyte changes, patients can present with seizures um, as well. And uh, it's what's important to know is that there really are no specific symptoms that can help us distinguish acute porphyria attacks from other causes of um, especially acute abdominal pain. So um, uh, really depend on biochemical testing to make this diagnosis, um, which really then depends a lot on um, the physicians having a high index of suspicion um, to think about it and then to be able to order the right tests. Um, and, and, and again, we have both sensitive and specific tests available with urine, ALA, and PBG testing, um, uh, which are sensitive and specific um, uh, for, uh, for diagnosing the AHPs. Another question that um, uh, is asked is, why are acute attacks more frequent in women than men in acute hepatic porphyrias? So, um, uh, you know, women outnumber men nine to one um, ratio in presentation of symptomatic AHP episodes. Um, and in women, the attacks are quite rare before the onset of menses, and they typically go away after menopause. And um, we think that this is due to the changing levels of hormones, and in particular, progesterone, um, which induces heme production in the liver. Um, and uh, we think that's why women are much more prone to acute porphyria attacks than men are. Um, but although do definitely still see men with acute attacks as well. All right, here we have some couple of questions about treatment. Um, how do you treat acute porphyria attacks in the emergency room setting? Okay, well, um, the mainstays of the treatment are first to provide symptomatic support. You know, these patients are in severe discomfort um, uh, in the middle of an acute attack, and especially if one that's severe enough um, for them to come to the emergency room. Um, they're going to have severe abdominal pain. They will have had very likely nausea and vomiting for several days and oftentimes are dehydrated. So um, uh, first is um, give them hydration, intravenous fluid hydration, oftentimes given with some dextrose. Um, uh, because uh, physiologically, um, acute attacks are oftentimes associated with prolonged starvation states. Um, and the lack of carbohydrates over a long period of time 
um, is will further induce heme production in the liver. And so this further on adds to, um, uh, to the acute attack. So giving some glucose during the early stages of the attack can be um, helpful in decreasing the severity of um, the attack. But oftentimes, that's not enough. Um, and uh, pain medications are needed. Patients often need really high doses of, um, of opiate pain medication, which are safe and do not induce um, and further worsen the acute attacks because they don't, do not uh, induce cytochrome P450 uh, induction in the liver. Um, so patients oftentimes will need high doses of intravenous opiates, intravenous anti-emetic medications, um, and IV fluids. But the mainstay of treatment in the emergency room setting is to identify um, uh, the symptoms as due to an acute porphyria attack uh, and to give the definitive treatment, of, uh, which is to give hemotherapy. Um, and this should be started as soon as possible when a patient presents with um, a severe attack. So um, another question related to treatment is... Um, how long after the initiation um, of heme treatment um, should we expect to see symptomatic relief and cessation of the attack? So very good question. Um, heme works very quickly. Um, within, uh, within hours of initiating heme treatment, the liver will stop trying to make any more heme. So the body stops accumulating any additional ALE and PBG very rapidly. But it takes the body... Um, uh, typically two to three days to get rid of all the excess ALG, ALA and PBG that has accumulated during the course of this attack. So um, heme therapy is usually given as a daily infusion over four to five days. And we typically do not expect symptom relief from heme until after day two to day three of treatment. But once um, we start seeing uh, symptom relief from heme, it will occur very quickly. So a typical course is a patient would come in in the middle of an acute attack, and, uh, make the, the diagnosis that this is an acute attack. You start symptomatic management, IV fluids, maybe some dextrose, start with uh, pain control, IV opiates, um, uh, uh, anti-emetics, and um, keep those on board for the first two to three days um, of the attack while we start heme. And, but usually by day three of heme, the patients will have a very rapid reversal and recovery from all of their symptoms. And then very quickly, within a few hours, you can stop all of the, um, uh, the, the opiate, um, medication and anti-emetic use. Um, and usually by day three to day four, the patients will have most of their acute symptoms will have recovered, um, and they'll be able to eat and drink and move around. And usually by day five, after the last dose of treatment, they are um, symptomatically much better. They'll still have some weakness and will be recovering. But um, at that point, um, typically they can be discharged home. So another question is, what are some of the latest advances in um, AHP therapy? Um, so we've talked a little bit about um, acute management of AHPs, but I would say, you know, overall outcomes have improved dramatically for um, AHP patients over the last 40 years. Um, there's several reasons for this. Um, uh, number one is um, uh, our critical care has gone much better. Um, uh, so if patients need to with a severe attack where even the diaphragm 
um, is being affected and patients have trouble breathing, um, uh, that's how patients typically in the past used to die from acute porphyria attacks. Um, uh, and now, you know, the, with uh, intensive care unit um, management, we're able to, to, to keep them alive. A second thing is actually a reduction of medications that are, you know, really high inducers of cytochrome P450s. Um, and so, uh, we are inducing acute attacks less. And then the third is the availability of heme. Um, and then the last thing in terms of new advances is now we have newer treatments, the siRNA based, um, treatments that, um, really their main advance is now being able to prevent, um, uh, recurrent acute attacks from, from occurring. So, um, with that, um, uh, we will end our Q and A session. Again, thank you for joining us. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.